just have to say it is so good to see all of you again. My goodness, what a sight for sore eyes you are. It's sort of a privilege for Connie and for me to be back here. Kathleen, thank you, and VLT for inviting us to come be here. You have stuck with us in some really hard moments in my life, and I love you for that, and I'm drawn to you uh, in all kind of ways, and I've told you we keep part of our hearts here all the time, so it's uh, always good to be back here. Good to see all of you today. If we were to break out into an old-fashioned hymn sing, uh, and we were just asking you to call out your favorite hymn, this is the audience participation part, so wake up for a moment, uh, what would be the hymn you'd want for us to sing right quick? What would be, what just, yeah, what's the name of it? Great is thy faithfulness, the old rugged cross, uh, as the deer pants. Yeah, we're, we're going to try to stump Larry here in a moment. Yes, yeah, right. Uh, what's that? Rock of Ages. For the beauty of the earth. Right. These are, you know, these are great hymns, of course, and we all have favorite hymns. And my guess is, behind every one of those hymns that came to your mind, there's a story. It's not just the text and the tune, as, goes, as good as those might be. It's probably your favorite because also this was the first tune I ever played on the piano. Or I always remember grandmother playing that in the front room. Or we sang that at daddy's funeral. Or they always sang that at chapel when I was in college. You know, there's something about that song that connects you to some deep parts of your life. So every time you hear it, you hear an echo and repolish again the gem that that represents in your life. We have favorite songs, of course. Countries have songs, and those songs are almost like flags. They represent the best of what the country is. So patriotism here, if it was a patriotism concert here, what's your favorite Americana song? What would be? What would it be? America, America the Beautiful. God Bless America, Star-Spangled Banner. Was that? Battle Hymn of the Republic, right. So these uh, moments that just make our hearts swell, right, and bring a tear to our eye. Countries have songs, and they represent uh, kind of marching things. It's, it's the best of what's within us. Uh, individuals, uh, maybe you have an individual song you like, probably the Red Raiders fight song or something like that. But uh, do, you have a, do you have a song, just a personal song for you? Or if you're in a marriage or a loving relationship, do you and your partner have a song. Well, Connie and I have a song. We have a song. Uh, it's the song I sang to her when I proposed to her over 25 years ago. Uh, and she's from Memphis, so we chose a song from one of Memphis's favorite sons, Elvis. <laughs> and uh, and it's, just, it's, just, it's just our song. Wise men say... Only fools rush in, but I can't help falling in love with you. As Elvis would say, thank you very much. <laughs> well, it's the best I can do without sideburns, but this is our song, and for 25 years... Every time it comes on, we just get up and dance to this, which in our living room, if it's our playlist, that's fine. If it's at the middle of the grocery store aisle, a little bit more awkward. And uh, I've said this morning in the earlier service, if Larry played it during the prelude, it'd even be more awkward. And if he didn't weave that into the prelude, I heard it and I didn't catch it until it was too late. We'd have danced right there in the aisle. If you put it into the postlude, give us another shot, all right? Uh, anyway, that's our song, and we have danced to that thing to steel drums and cruise lines and all over the world for the last 25 lovely years we've had together. It's our song. It's just so sweet to us. But God forbid 
if anything ever happened that I didn't have Connie, could I ever sing that song or even hear it again? We have a friend in Dallas whose favorite song is by Don McLean written in 1970 called American Pie. Do you remember American Pie? Uh, at that time, the only length of a song to play on the radio was three minutes, and he dared have an eight-and-a-half-minute song, but it was just so good it got on the radio anyway. Uh, and it's a song about Don McLean, young musician, singer, singer-writer. Uh, it's a song about what he viewed as the death of innocence and the death of his naivete and the, and the death of all the good music, he thought. He's looking back in 1970 over the 1970s. 60s, which besides being a decade of bad hair days was actually a lot of pretty bad history too. So there's the assassination of JFK and Martin Luther King Jr. and there's Vietnam and all those things. Just It seemed like the place was coming apart at the seams and some of you lived through that. You know what I'm talking about. And it just felt like everything beautiful and wonderful was just going away and, and he grieved that in this song in this song, a, a song which has a phrase in it that some people think is a title, you know, the, the, the day the music died. But what he sings about in that song, actually what inspires the beginning of it, was his model, his idol, the person who inspired him to be a singer, a guy named Buddy Holly. You may have heard of Buddy. Uh, some somewhere out in Texas. Anyway, but, uh, and Buddy and his, and his group, the Crickets, he had horn-rimmed glasses, and what, they were kind of avant-garde because they actually played the music and sang it instead of the singer with a backdrop, you know, of, of musicians. He played and sang, and uh, they, was just, they were teen idols, and they, uh, they were really a hit, you know, for such a long time. And in February of 1959, while on a, you know, a concert tour in the upper Midwest... His plane crashed, and he died. Young Don McLean has a newspaper route, and that's the headline on the front page. So now think of that first stanza in American Pie. February made me shiver with every paper I'd deliver. Bad news on the doorstep. I couldn't take one more step. I don't remember if I cried when I read about his widowed bride, but something touched me deep inside the day the music died. Because for Don McLean, that crash and that death was the day the music died. Anybody feel that way today? You ever been in that place in your life where it just felt like everything that was beautiful and tonal in your life had been taken? Our Old Testament lesson this morning was taken from just such a time. The children of Israel have been enjoying several centuries of prosperity ever since the days of King David. And in the southern kingdom, there's the temple there in Jerusalem, beautiful, jeweled, ornate gold, gleamed in the morning and evening sun like a beacon of light. They believed it was the very physical address of God on earth. You went to see God at the temple like seeing grandmother at Thanksgiving. That's where God lived. And they believed that because of that, that they had a special connection, proximity to God. They were God's 
God's chosen people. And the temptation of being chosen is that you always forget that the, when God chooses, God chooses you to let everybody know they're chosen too. And Israel and everybody since then has had trouble remembering that sometimes. So they really thought that they kind of had a kind of an inside track on God and that God would protect them no matter what. So then Babylon comes, this big bad enemy, and everybody thought, well, they might take the rest of the Middle East, but they're not going to take God's people. And then they invaded Judah. Well, they won't take Jerusalem. Everybody fled to the city inside the walls. And then they breached the walls. So everybody fled to the temple. They surely, you know, let's get right under the wings of God here. We're going to be safe in the temple. God will smash them. And to their slack-jawed amazement and terror, Babylon smashed the temple. Didn't leave two stones on top of another, stole all the jewelry. Now the temple looks like September 12, 2001, where the World Trade Centers were. How could that have happened? It looked like that our very God has been destroyed. And then Babylon took what was left of the survivors, the brightest and the best, and hauled them off, off back to Babylon as if in concentration camps. And so the musicians, the temple musicians who'd been leading in worship just recently back in Jerusalem are now back in Babylon. And to make matters worse, now the tormentors, their captors are saying, hey, sing us some of the ditties from back in Jerusalem. We love some of those nice little Jewish songs. Give us some stuff, you know, just for our entertainment. Be our little jukebox. And they say, how can we sing the Lord's song in this foreign land? And so they took their harps and they hung them up onto the trees, the weeping willows. That picture. How can we sing the Lord's song? Because the music has died. It's an easy temptation because there really are moments. Friends, there really are moments. If you haven't had one, if you're not in one now, then hang on, you're going to have one. Maybe a lot. There are moments where there just doesn't seem to be a way forward. When the dark is so dark, you can't see any light. When the hate is so strong, it's hard to believe in love. When the pain is so great, it's hard to believe you'll ever be well again. When the emptiness is so great, it's hard to know if you'll ever feel fullness. There are moments like that in everybody's life, in every church's life, in every country's life. So what do you do? One thing is you don't make light of it. You don't say, hey, cheer up, no big deal. It's not a time for a positive thinking rally. Sometimes there's a moment to just wallow in it. Be in it. You don't have to understand it or explain it. You don't have to make light of it, make trite of it. Sometimes you just have to say, this is the muck. Remember when Job lost not only all of his possessions, and all of his family, but all of his health. You remember when his three friends came to him? The only one smart thing they did the whole book is they sat with him for seven days without saying a word. Just sat in the muck with him. Have you ever been in a really hard place and you had a dear friend who was so dear, all they did was just come be with you? They didn't try to explain anything. Maybe they just rubbed your hand. You know, if you had a friend, you know what I'm talking about. There's a time when that's the right thing to do. There's a time to wear the widow's garment. There's a time to be draped in the dark in the, in the sackcloth and ashes. There is and be in that. What is that time? There's not a set time, but there is a time. There's also a time to set that garment aside. There's such a time as that too. So is it really that the harps are permanently up on the willows? 
Well, here's the deal. God had something to teach Israel that they could never have learned unless they'd gone to exile. This is the amazing good news, and I hope it's the hope that we'll hear this morning. Even in the darkest, worst exile moments of our life, it's not that, that we're being punished, and it's not that God has forsaken us or what. It's just that sometimes, remember for Dorothy, there's no place like home. She could never have learned that had she not gone to Oz. Sometimes the knowledge of the Father's good care is only found in the far country in the hog pit. Sometimes going into exile is how we learn how much larger God is. And for Israel, it was to discover that we didn't leave God back destroyed back in Jerusalem. God was already in front of us here in Babylon. God could be here too. And then he pray, asked for them to pray for the city. And he, he says, I've got a plan. I've got a, still got a plan for you. Connie, I also have a verse. We have a song, we have a verse. Jeremiah 29, 11. I know the plans I have for you, God says to the prophet Jeremiah, to give you a hope and a future. Remember that wonderful verse? Those verses are said by God through Jeremiah to the very same people in Babylon at the very same time who wrote Psalm 137. And the hope is not, I, hang on, I'm about to bring you back to Jerusalem. It'd be 70 more years. Their kids and their grandkids wouldn't see it. What he says is you start praying for the city, meaning Babylon, you dig in there. What feels like the end of the world is not. It's just the beginning of your next chapter. I want you to learn how to live and to thrive because I'm there too. Don't despair. It's not all over. And that was a hard lesson for Israel because they thought God's only in our place. What about if God is... What about if God really does care for the whole world? Those are hard lessons. And, and Israel, one bit unique, Christians have done the same thing. We tend to create it in God's image. We keep trying to create God then in ours. Baptists back in the frontier days thought God was Baptist. And Methodists thought God was Methodist. And Catholics thought God was Catholic. You fill in the blank. And, and you know, back in those days in the, in the Western frontier, the, the denominations would struggle and fight with each other. And sometimes they'd use their songs as scud missile weapons to kind of throw at each other, try to open up the windows in the downtown courthouse and yell at each other through their hymns. The Baptists had a hymn, all this exclusivism. I'm a Baptist, 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 Baptist till I die. Because if I stay a Baptist, I'll go to live on high. That was actually, that's actually a song in our hymnal would still be there. It would still be there had someone not pointed out it's the same tune as 99 bottles of beer on the wall, <laughs> which pretty well knocked it out of the Baptist hymnal. The Methodists actually had a song in the Methodist hymnal, turn of the 19th century. The, Meth the song went like this. The devil, the Baptist, and old Tom Paine have tried their best, but all in vain. They can't prevail. The reason is the Lord defends the Methodists. <laughs> Presbyterians alarmed that Baptists and Methodists were multiplying like rabbits out in the frontier and that there were always more of them than there should be. Uh, there was a particular Presbyterian pastor, a Methodist and a Baptist preacher had been fired at the time, and so there was no preacher in town. And so the Baptist guy had died, and they asked the Presbyterian pastor to conduct the funeral. He didn't know if he could conduct the funeral. He, he writes off to the presbyter, his higher up, can I conduct this funeral? And the guy says, you bury all the Baptists you can. <laughs> you know, <laughs> So... In the frontier, people were thinking it's just, we're more exclusive. And, they, and what they failed to realize is that the world is not full of competitors, it's full of companions. That's actually the way the world is wired. It's actually wired toward us, not against us. What a change that could be if we could just realize how much bigger God's boundaries are. And sometimes the only way to learn that is to be forced out of our safe boundaries. That's the only way to learn it sometimes. God had something to teach Israel in the exile. It was the end of some things. It was.
The smoldering ruins of Jerusalem and that temple, that was, that was grievous. But it wasn't the end of everything. Your former pastor, John Claypool, probably told you this story, but I heard him tell it. He tells a story about when their beloved 12-year-old daughter, Laura Lou, died of leukemia and the unspeakable, heart-wrenching imagination of that. As you attend the funeral, you should never attend. And in the months after that, every time they'd go to a restaurant, he and his wife and their remaining nine-year-old son, Rowan, you know how the tables are set up with four chairs? And every time they went to a restaurant, there was that empty chair, just. And John said he would just stare in silence through the meal at the empty chair where Laura Lou used to sit. And what snapped him out of it is one day Rowan said to him, Dad, I'm still here. And that's when he said, I realized I had lost much, but I had not lost everything. Dear one, you might be in one of those moments where you still cannot believe that you wake up in the morning and the bed is empty. It still surprises you. Or that you reach up for the cups of coffee and bring two down and then sadly remember to put one of them back up. It may be that you feel like an exile in a land that you never thought you'd want to live in. Maybe you've had a body part that's betrayed you, <laughs> you know, and now you can't do something you used to do or go where you wanted to go. And you thought, how did, how did I get here? Maybe you never meant to live in West Texas. You know, why can't I just... <laughs> but, you know, you find yourself in a situation where you just say, I feel like I'm in exile in a foreign land. And it's not of your choosing, perhaps. And it feels strange to you. But here's the message. God is never finished. Even when we think we're finished. When we believe that the music has died, the God we serve is always writing another stanza. Then that's the good news. If you can't hear it but faintly or only with a slimmer of your faith, God is always writing another stanza. In your life personally, in whatever moment you face, there is a future and a hope. The music, no matter what it sounds like, no matter how silent it is, the music hasn't died. So Jesus gathers with his disciples the last night of his earthly ministry. They have bread and wine, and he tells them to remember. Now, memory sometimes can get all corrupted because in Psalm 137, all they did with their memory was remember the good old days, you know, and nostalgia, kind of like eating all the time at Cracker Barrel. But, uh, but and, and, and kind of saying, if I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my tongue cleave to me, let my right hand fall off. So sometimes memory can get infected, I get it. But memory at its best, the way Jesus talked about it that last night was, remember even in the hardest moments, remember all the things of God's faithfulness all the way through, and that's how you'll know that it's gonna be okay. And some of you who've lived life long enough and have paid attention to life, you know this. 
If this is your first rodeo, you may not know it as well, then go find somebody with gray hair. Because uh, the longer we've lived, the more we know that no matter how it feels at the moment, God is still pulsating through. Just trust, trust, keep going. And so they sang a hymn that night with the disciples and then they went out into the dark. And the next day, the current occupying force, Rome, took Jesus and like another abandoned Jewish instrument, hung him up on a tree. Talk about the day the music died. That dark noon surely must have felt like that. But you know, that was Friday. And we're Easter people. What we know is that even on that day, God wrote another stanza. Because on Sunday, the blowing love of God blew across the strings of that lyre and the song was back alive. And if you'll listen as close as your own heartbeat, that song is singing in you. So here's the deal. It's not so important that you can carry a tune. It's that you can find a tune that will carry you. Amen. Amen. Oh Lord, help us hear the tune. Help us have someone carry us with it until it carries us along and we join a great chorus where the song just never dies. Even if we do, it never dies. Even when we've lost much, remind us we've never lost all. And while we say goodbye to some things, it also allows us to say hello to whatever you're doing next. We're going to trust you on that, Lord, because you are the singer and our dance is with you. Through Christ our Lord, we pray. Amen. So, when the gospel is preached, it demands response, and the deepest response might be very private and quiet within your own heart and mind, of course. But it may be, it may be that someone has come to the awareness that, you know what, uh, this is the kind of church I want to be a part of because I see under stress how they act. They, they love each other no matter what. No, that's exactly right. Maybe it's time Maybe it's time for you to make public what you already know privately. I'm going to wait right here. I'd love to hug you into the life of this church. If you don't want to hug, I'll, you know, shake your hand. But uh, anyway, I'd love to welcome you as this church wants to welcome you. If you have a decision of faith to give your life to Christ, uh, to come into the life of this church, anything else you'd like to do, if there's a response that calls you forward as we stand and sing these three stanzas of this invitation hymn, please do that. Otherwise, Make the decision that God's calling you to make that may send you out differently. That may be where the direction of your walking will go.